ahead and pray for Miss Wanda this morning. Would you all just join me? She's in the hospital right now. So let's just pray real quick. Father, we just come before you again, Lord, and you know about what's going on. And Father, you know um, how much we love Miss Wanda, Lord, and we would ask that you would um, lay your hand upon her, lay your healing hand upon her in such a way, Lord, as to strengthen her so that she can recover quickly and be able to come home. We would ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this morning, let's go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 3. And I want to talk to you this morning about rediscovering the good news. And I've just been on this kick, I think, uh, for a couple of weeks, thinking about how uh, sometimes we just actually use a lot of terminology in the Christian world. And I don't even know that we even know what it means anymore. Uh, but certainly the good news should mean exactly what it is. It's the gospel. It means good news to the world, right? That's what we've been celebrating. And um, I, I just wonder if we have maybe gotten off track with what we think good news actually is. I've been thinking about writing a book. I've been telling, I'm back on talking like this again. I've been telling people, I'm going to write a book called, uh, you know, Reinstating the Narrow Road. Because sometimes I think that we Christians, we have just made this into what we think it should be. So for instance, I was at school this week, and I just have a lot of kids that tell me stuff a lot of times, and um, I just want to go ahead and make sure that you realize that when these kids are telling me things about what they experience, they're not necessarily telling me stuff so that I'll feel bad for them or so that I'll be shocked by what they're going through. They're just making casual conversation with me. And what I've been picking up on for several years now is that when the holidays get here, a lot of the kids are in a sense of dread because they have to go home. You know, I was one of the things about the COVID-19 issue is that if we shut everything down, we were all worried about what might be happening to the kids. And I certainly don't want to have to think about that. And I know you don't either. But unfortunately, the world is still the world. And so when we think about kids going home for a couple weeks, a lot of the kids aren't going to be going home to great holiday traditions like maybe some of you are. A lot of the kids are going to be really struggling during the holidays. And in fact, when I was a kid, that holiday time was one of those times. It was just so uncomfortable. The stress was over, overwhelming because uh, there was a lot of loved ones that you, you care for deeply that were not there for whatever various reasons they might have had. There's uh, also that time of year where um, it just, instead of peace, there's a lot of arguing and bickering that goes on and, and people against each other and then, unfortunately, for some of the kids that I work with, there's a lot of other unspeakable things that happens to them. And so, when I was listening to some of these stories, and I want to just throw this out there before I tell you that what I was getting ready to say, we were doing a, an assignment for what, it was a writing assignment about what you want for Christmas. And some of them were saying, I just want my family, just to put this into perspective. It wasn't a remote control car, it's my family. And so... The reason why I'm telling you this is because I can't help but think that we're this side of history with all of humanity 2,000 years later since the good news was actually given to the world. Can you believe that? This, this is where we are 
after 2,000 years of having the good news given to us, that we are still living in a society that people are being harmed on a regular basis, emotionally, physically, and even spiritually. And we just lit the candle, the rose-colored candle, because it's the reminder to us that this is the Sunday of Advent, that we celebrate the joy that the birth of Christ has brought to the world. Now, as a kid, I missed that joy. In fact, I don't know that even if someone had told me about the joy that I was supposed to have, I would have listened to them. But as soon as these kids tell me what they face on a regular basis in casual conversation, right here in Pickens County, do you know what frustrates me right out of the gate? It's the church. Is it okay if I say that? It's the way we Christians have somehow let go of what the good news actually means. And so, for me, when I first came to Jesus, I remember telling you all that I was reading the Word of God, and I thought, wow, that would have been an awesome time to live and an awesome place to live would have been to live in the nation of Israel where people do what's right. And it would have been. And we talk about this on a regular basis. We talk about when the Israelites were going into the promised land, it wasn't as much as the fact that they were excited because they were going to get to drink from the, the vineyards that they didn't plant, all of these things, and live in the houses they didn't have to build. It was the idea that somehow while they're in this new land, they're no longer being oppressed by the Pharaoh and the Egyptians. They've got good news. They get to get away from that type of oppression, and in the promised land, they are going to live with people who do what's right, which is God's will. That was the excitement. That's the good news, right? But the problem was, come forward a couple thousand years after Moses gives the law to the Israelites, right? The problem is, is that the Israelites became a different type of oppressor to the innocent people. And it was because of the sin that they sought to commit on a regular basis. So I, I would call this somehow them missing the point of what the good news is, right? Because the good news is that people live justly with each other and justly with their God. They love God and they love others more than themselves. This is the good news, that Jesus came to die so that you could have just that, exactly that. But somehow they've missed that, and so what they've done is they started taking uh, advantage of each other. So when I hear these stories again, I think of this maybe a single mother. I've told you when I was a kid, it was me and my mom against the world, right? Just us two facing the world together with nothing. And so I think of a single mother sometimes, and I might think of how in this day with what the American church is doing with the good news, we actually sometimes 
have people say, and I'm just going to tell you like it is this morning, where people will say that they are okay to leave their spouses because it's God's will. I'm not making this stuff up. Somebody might be sitting there thinking, that's a bit much, Pastor. There's no way anybody thinks that. Well, you might be surprised. People think that they're doing God's will to chase after their own hearts. Who cares what it does to the single mom, right? Because it's just a misfortune for her. But the good news is, according to most Christians, is that as long as you believe in Jesus, you don't have to suffer the consequences of sin. Well, I got to tell you, somebody who grew up in a house where we did without things on a regular basis, where we were lonely on a regular basis, where we were unhappy on a regular basis, there's no way that you're going to tell me that it's good news that if you are a Christian, you can live life how you see fit and take advantage of others. There's no way. That's not good news for humanity might be good news for the individual who believes that, but it's not good news for humanity. So when I look at this passage we're getting ready to get in, I already know that there's something that we should all be taking a look at, and, and it's really what God is doing in this passage because in the same way, the Israelites, they're in Jerusalem, right? So we know because of the Old Testament in Jerusalem that the presence of God is actually in Jerusalem, inside the temple that towers above all the houses in Jerusalem. You could probably, and some of the houses are actually living in the shadows of that big temple in Jerusalem. So when you're walking outside, you would look over, you would say, the presence of God is in that temple. That's, I don't know if anybody would think that, but that might be a possibility. And so what's interesting, you had a couple of high priests I know Timothy probably alerted you to this on how that actually worked last week, but you've got a couple of high priests who say they serve the Lord, right? And you've got all of these kings, and within this Jerusalem, you have a bunch of people who are very materialistic, that this is what it means to them to be God's people is that they have stuff, right? They have stuff. But what's interesting in this passage of Luke chapter three is that John the Baptist is actually the spokesman for God himself. And do you know where John is? He's outside of Jerusalem. He's outside of Jerusalem and he's calling the people out to come out and repent. This doesn't make sense because the good news for the Israelite at that time was that you came through the Red Sea. God has chosen you to be his people. You're going to be a holy nation. And you've got somebody in the temple. You've got the presence of God, supposedly, right? But you also have the high priests who are supposed to be hearing on behalf of God. And yet you have somebody being used by God out in the wilderness and out in the wilderness, much like what happened to them when they were in Egypt, God said, come out from Egypt and worship me in the wilderness because you're being oppressed in Egypt. It's unjust for you 
in Egypt. Come out and worship me here in the wilderness and learn to be my son. And when I say son, I mean collectively. The nation of Israel would learn to be a son of God. So it looks like this is what's happening again. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Luke chapter 3, verses 7 to 18, and I want us to try to rediscover what the good news is about Jesus Christ's birth here on earth. I'm going to start with chapter, or verse 7. It says this, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children to Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors, I love how it says that, even. People would never believe the tax collector would have a conscience. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. So this is interesting because if I was running a teen camp this week and I wanted 50 teenagers to come to the altar, I might preach this message and I might just scare them half to death about their eternal um, uh, fate of being in heaven or hell. And I could get the altar full. But the problem I would have is that Luke is saying in the last verse that I just read, He's saying that John was proclaiming the good news to them. So somehow, if we're going to rediscover the good news, we have to understand that somehow this actually is good news to the world, what was just said right in this passage. Y'all with me, right? Somehow, this has to be good news. So the first thing I want you to see this morning to rediscover the good news, we need to learn everyone will be held accountable. This is an interesting passage. When I hear the phrase, everyone will be held accountable, you're probably saying, 
Well, Scott, that doesn't sound like good news, right? But to someone who's struggling in life and maybe they've had advantage taken of them in various ways, this is communicating that there is a God who loves us and there is a God who is just. Everyone will be accountable for what they do and don't do to those who are at their mercy. And you know what's interesting is that John the Baptist goes so far as to say to the people, remember, coming out of Jerusalem again, coming out of the holy city where they offer sacrifices to Yahweh, they are just, and I'm telling you, they're dressed up and they just look good while they're worshiping the Lord in the temple, right? Here they come out of, into the desert because John's saying, you need to come out and repent and be baptized for your sins. And here's the deal. What John said to them is, you brood of vipers. Did you hear that? I'm gonna tell you, John isn't gonna grow a church, is he? He's not gonna be a popular theologian. He's not gonna write books for anybody. But he says to them, he says, you brood of vipers. And who's he talking to? Just in case we miss it. It's not the world. You know how we preach against the world on a regular basis. We're always just saying, woe is the world because the world is so full of sin. Well, I'm here to tell you that apparently the people of God were full of sin and still are. Because he said, you brood of vipers, he said, listen, just because I called you that, don't you sit there and turn around with a reply to me and say, Hey, wait a minute, John. We are children of Abraham. You know, somehow Abraham is our father, and because he's our father, that means you can't call us that. Because they knew when they heard John the Baptist say, you brood of vipers, that, you know what a brood of vipers is, right? What's a viper? It's a snake. It's a snake. And so what a, brute, what a viper is going to do, or, or, or a, a snake, is they're going to, if you go back to, now we're just going back theologically here. This isn't actually going to happen today, I hope. But go back theologically to the Garden of Eden. Who was the snake? Satan. This is interesting, isn't it? Adam was God's in the garden, right? But then the snake deceived him and Eve, and they sinned, ruined the garden. So they would have known when he says that, what he's doing is he's comparing the people from the holy city to the enemy in his kingdom. And he says, you know something? The axe is already at the root because every tree that does not bear fruit will be held accountable and burnt with unquenchable fire. So what he's doing now is he's telling them the time is coming that everyone will be held accountable. And it's going to start right here in Israel first. You're saying, but I still don't see the good news. 
Well, you remember in the book of Revelation, there's a group of people in, in heaven right now who are in heaven because they did not die of natural causes, right? They didn't die of natural causes. Somebody put them there, and what they're doing is they're saying, how long, Lord, until you make right the wrong that has happened to us? How long until you fix what's happened to us? And it's coming, right? We know this. If you've ever had wrong done to you this morning, and you are deeply wounded by something that somebody has done, and it looks like they don't even have the conscience to acknowledge that they've done right, maybe it's because they're hiding behind their false sense of security and God's grace, because they're misusing God's grace. I'm here to tell you, God will deal with it. Sometimes those who have been hurt just simply need to know that it will be dealt with. That's good news. And if it's dealt with, then maybe others won't be hurt. You're still saying, but Pastor Scott, you're talking about people who are offering sacrifices to Yahweh who have been called God's chosen people. Well, this is the problem. They are not living like Abraham did. They are not living with a faith that makes them righteous, which makes them act justly towards each other. And in fact, let me show you the second thing I want you to see. To rediscover the good news, we need to learn justice is displayed by those who fear God. So what's happening is when they're, in, they're coming out of Jerusalem, right? They're coming out of Jerusalem, They've got this great law system where in, in the law in Jerusalem, it demonstrates, you remember what I said, how I was reading the Bible, and I said, boy, I wish I could have lived there, and, and, and this would have been the type of community that I would have lived in. They have all of this stuff, right? But they don't care whether or not that that actually produces fruit. Did you pick up on that? Because they're saying what we're really concerned about is that we're God's chosen people, and that's where we're going to hang our hat. They're going to continue to take advantage of each other. And you're saying, well, I don't know how they're doing that. Well, John says, let me spell it out for you. Because when he's talking about the ax being laid at the root, what John said is, listen, the ax is laid at the root, and every tree that doesn't bear fruit, it's going to be burnt up with unquenchable fire, right? So then they say, when they hear that, they're saying, and we've already been told we can't rely upon our false sense of security because God said we're his people, right? So John, they're saying to John, then what should we do? <laughs> oh, those of you who believe God has blessed you and given you two shirts, those aren't for you to store up, right? <laughs> that isn't for you to hoard back to yourself. If you've got two shirts and somebody's doing without a shirt, give them one of them. Give it to them, right? And then they're like, even the tax collectors, which everybody in Israel at that time would have thought, 
If there's somebody that'll never go to heaven, it's going to be that tax collector right there. Right there. These people are horrible. Even they said, what should we do? He said, don't take more than what you're supposed to take. In other words, he's not saying it's wrong to pay taxes. But what he's saying is, it's when you take more from people than what you actually need. That's the problem. You know, you're probably thinking, well, Christians don't do that. Can I tell you something? Some of the worst oppressors are Christians. (laughs) I don't know about you all, but I've been snooted on by Christians before. It still happens. Until they find out I'm a pastor. (laughs) Then it's fun. But I'm telling you, then the the soldiers, the guys that have, they're they're killers, right? They're they're the people, right? You just think of the Navy SEALs, feel no pain, you know, do what needs to be done. They heard this message. They said, what are we going to do? Quit extorting people. You know something? What happens is many people are getting rich off of the weaker person. Have you ever noticed that? This isn't supposed to happen in Israel because the good news was, even though you're the least of these, Israel, you're going to always treat the least of these the right way because the law of God says so. The law of God expresses itself in people loving God and loving their neighbors. So those who fear God the right way, we're on point two, by the way. (laughs) Those who fear God and love God the right way They're going to display justice to their neighbors and to their God on a regular basis. So now we get back to why we're saying this is good news. Because if you're someone who grows up, if you're a single mother whose husband has taken off on you, if you're struggling, whatever it may be, I've got good news for you. Just because he's not doing what he's supposed to do doesn't mean God has forgotten you. Because what's going to happen now, those who fear God the right way are going to take care of you the right way. But it didn't happen for us. I mean, did you all hear that, right? You know, the place I grew up, I mean, there's several churches in that town, right? I could ride my bike past them. I'd see them. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know we were being ignored by church. I just knew that that wasn't where I belonged, right? I just always thought, well, nothing goes right, so apparently God doesn't care for me and my family. Oh, but he does. See, that's the good news. God cares for everyone, but unfortunately, sometimes those closest to God ignore what God tells them to do, and they, they just only think of grace in terms of Grace is something that I have because I sin every day, and so this grace keeps me out of trouble. That's not good news for humanity. That's good news for you. You all see that, right? Good news for humanity says there's this group of people called the church who is like the nation of Israel was supposed to be because of God's presence in their life and because of the love that they have for their God and each other, they're always going to do the right thing and they're going to love you with the love that God has for you. That's the good news. 
unless we're not living out the good news. Unless we're like the soldier or the tax collector. Did you hear what John said? Be content. Did you pick up on that? Be content with what you have. Well, you can't be content with what you have unless you love your heavenly father and love your neighbors more than yourselves. You can't. Look at the last thing I want you to see. If we're going to rediscover the good news, we need to learn, choose your response to the Messiah. I know it sounds odd, but you know I picked up on something when I was reading this in verses 15 to 18. You got two images going on of who Jesus Christ is right here. Y'all picking up on that? If you're looking, you can see. John says, I'm not the Messiah. He perceived that they all thought he was the Messiah. He says, it's not me, but there's one coming after me whom I'm not worthy to even untie his sandal. He's the Messiah. But when he comes, he said, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This is interesting. So we have this image. See, that's the good news. How is the world going to receive the good news? Well, it's certainly going to receive the good news through the baptism of the Holy Spirit into God's people and with fire. But he says he also has his winnowing fork in his hand. And get this, don't miss this. The grain and the chaff are all laying together on the floor already. Did y'all hear that? And what he's going to do is he's going to take the winnowing fork and he's going to start going through that grain and putting it up in the air so that the chaff will be blown away and separated from the grain. Well, this is good news still. Because <laughs> some of you might be thinking, ooh, that isn't what I want to hear this morning. Well, this is good news because I'm going to tell you something. Everybody's going to get what they ask for from Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? Everybody is going to get to keep the life that they want to keep in light of Jesus Christ. You all understand what I'm saying? If you want to live where good news is actually lived out, then Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and he will purify you. That fire in the Greek is pur, which is the first three letters of purity. He will purify you so that you can live the good news out and you can live the type of life you've always wanted to live. But if you're someone who says no to Jesus, that you want to keep focused on the material things of this world and focus all of your energies and life goals on what this world gives, he's not going to I guess, hound you and make you do what you don't want to do, but you will be the chaff. You've got the choice. Are you going to be the grain or the chaff? Well, let me tell you something. 
Because of God's grace, I want you to know something, because I don't want to misunderstand anything. Because of the grace of God, it wasn't that I was afraid of going to hell when I was a kid. I know I've told you this before. But once I saw that Jesus actually does love all of us, and Jesus is offering this way of life to all of us, I said, I want to live like that. Yes, I want Jesus to be my king, and I want to live how Jesus tells us to live, because I see the value and how reasonable it is that we, if we do what God tells us to do, that everything that is supposed to be displayed to all of the world, it's actually the fruit of knowing him. It's a good thing. That's the good news. He will even actually enable us to be able to treat him and others right. But if you don't want that, you can be the chaff. It really is that simple. The good news to you is, is that you're not going to be forced to live in God's kingdom if you don't want to. Have you ever thought about that? God isn't going to force you to love him. He wants to persuade you to love him, but he's not going to make you love him or else. That's not how he operates. You know, some of you might be thinking right now, this is awful brash to preach like this. And it, in, some, in some ways, it might even seem offensive because what I've done is I've just taken the text of Scripture and I've basically said, if you're misusing God's grace for your own needs and means, you might be part of the brood of vipers, even though you think you're a child of God. That's very unpopular. Do you know how unpopular that is? John's going to get his, he's going to lose his head. Because not after this, then he's going to tell the king, he's, one of the kings, he's going to say, you're living with your brother's wife. You shouldn't be doing that. That's a sin. And you know what's going to happen to him, right? To prison, then he's going to the cemetery. For what? For telling the truth. People don't like to be held accountable. But I'll tell you this, if you understand what being held accountable actually means, it means that you're being loved the right way. So if you are concerned about the fact that everyone's going to be accountable, what I want you to know this morning is, this is the Lord. I'm trying to the best of my human abilities, but this is the Lord loving you through his word, telling you, if you are getting off track, his grace is enough to get you back on track. Don't ever stop seeking him. You never sin enough that he doesn't want to have anything to do with you, but he is going to enable you to come back, but you first have to want to. All you have to do is want to, and you don't have to be in that group that's going to be held accountable, right? If you're someone this morning that is thinking, well, pastor, nobody can live perfectly. We're not saying that. That's not what we're saying. But I can tell you that if you are someone who is taking more than your share from others weaker than you this morning, even though you're a Christian, you have a problem. You have a problem. If you're lying about others and destroying them emotionally and, 
and, and spiritually, you, you have a problem. You're bearing false witness. And if you're doing that on a daily basis, you have to stop it. Because the good news you're giving to the world doesn't make sense to those of us who are actually lost. So what if you get to commit sin and go to heaven? I can do that without having Jesus in my life, right? But what attracts people who are lost like I was is when you do what's right. Then I want to be with you and your God, period. If you're somebody this morning who's like, well, you know, Pastor Scott, I mean, the good news is, is that Jesus took our punishment so that we don't have to take any punishment. You're right, but his grace transforms. You picked up on that when it said, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. What he's going to do is he's going to help you change. He doesn't have to keep taking your punishment over and over because you keep doing the wrong things and misusing his grace because what's happening, if you're doing that, you're adding to the bad news of the world. You know, I'm honestly, I believe with all my heart that if American churches would seriously come back to understanding this in the right way and start preaching accountability, you know what I think would happen? I would not be sitting having conversations with kids who are terrified to spend two weeks at their house because Christmas break is coming. I get sick of it, honestly. Not because of the kids, but because Christians know better. They know better. It's, it, it's really boring. When I think of all the churches in Pickens County, and this is all we can come up with, after 2,000 years of the good news of Jesus Christ? Are you kidding me? And let me tell you something. This isn't a small percentage. This is a large percentage. There has to be a stopping point somewhere, and I think it needs to start in the American church. If we like that candle and because it's good news, then it's not just good news for you, it's good news for all of us because God's going to use all of us to stop the sin that's oppressing people and ruining their lives. This morning, with all heads bowed and eyes closed, if you feel like you're disconnected from the Lord through Jesus Christ this morning I want to invite you to pray with me at the altar or after service it's your choice but if you feel like you're disconnected from him this morning then I would invite you to understand that you must receive Christ and ask him for his baptism that he would save you If you're someone who's just gotten off track this morning, then ask him for his grace. Acknowledge where you are falling short in your life and ask him to help you to change it. He will. And if you're somebody who doesn't love others more than yourself this morning, it's possible that you may think none of this applies to you. 
be careful because self-centered people miss God's grace. I'm going to pray with you. If you want to come, you can come and pray. Whatever it is, I will pray with you. I'll wait a moment. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning because, Lord, we've heard your word, and, Lord, it's, it's a troubling passage, but it's a passage, Lord, where you've forced us to rediscover what the good news actually is. It's that those of us who are part of the church universal, Lord, we are used to be the salt of the earth. We are used to bring to fruition all of the commands that you've given us. I pray, Lord, if there's anybody within the sound of my voice that is struggling with this, anything that I've said that's gotten them concerned, whatever the case may be, I pray, Father, that you would speak to them through the Holy Spirit, that they would read it for themselves, Lord. And, Father, I pray that you would help us as your people to change so that the good news is seen as good news by those who feel oppressed. Help us to be the good news. I pray that you keep us safe and go with us and help us to speak of these things even as we work through the week and understand that whatever happens in our lives at whatever moment, it's always that we have to allow your grace to work through us even when we're not together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen.